uh, please turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, and we're going to be starting in verse uh, 21 there. Uh, now, at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, uh, the men on Wednesday mornings had the privilege of going through First uh, and Second Peter, and we learned about a guy by the name of Peter who who had many flaws. He had uh, many um, failures in his life. He denied the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, even though he had walked with him for uh, three and a half years. Uh, we saw the, the victories that he had in his life after he received the Holy Spirit. Uh, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we get the theme uh, of these uh, books. And if you wouldn't mind uh, standing with me as we read uh, the Word of God, it says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live. For righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. And so, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We, we thank you for the plain directives that your word gives us. And Lord, today we ask that you would help us to follow in your footsteps and to... Um, follow after something that, that may be challenging for us. So, something that many times we um, do not like to hear. And so, Lord, please change our attitude right now. Change my attitude right now, Lord. Uh, help us to have the desire with all of our hearts to imitate you and to follow hard after you. We thank you that we are allowed in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. You see, um, the theme of Peter is not about power. The, the, the theme of Peter in First and Second Peter is not about you know, some uh, high and almighty thing. The theme of Peter, both first and second, is submission. In fact... The word submission is used more times in 1 Peter than any other book in the whole Bible. Uh, six times the word submission is used. In fact, uh, this word submission is used more times in 1 Peter to emphasize how we are supposed to act like Jesus Christ the example uh, that he set. Um, was Peter a submissive man? Now, those of you that may have read the Gospels, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, 
verse uh, 16. And we get this uh, amazing uh, story about what it was like to be Peter in his very shoes. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, it says, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That, that declaration that he made, uh, that, that amazing answer that he gave when Jesus asked, Whom do you say that I am? And Peter was the very first one to answer. And what did he say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That amazing true statement, Jesus answered and said to him, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That, that amazing proclamation before all of the other disciples there, uh, that Jesus blesses Peter. In the very next verse, though, what happens? And, and you, you know, you've read this before. I'm not preaching anything new. You, you've heard this preached before. Uh, verse 20, then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes to be killed, to be raised the third day, what we just celebrated last week. Then Peter, three verses later, then Peter, verse 22, took him aside. Now, you can picture this, right? Put his arm around Jesus, took him off to the side. You know, this guy that had just been complimented about how he had recognized that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is God. I should have some right to be able to, you know, uh, discipline Jesus a little bit, reprimand Jesus a little bit. And so he takes him aside and he rebukes him, the Bible says, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Who had the better plan? Who wanted to be in charge of the plan of salvation? Who? Peter did. Uh, Peter wanted to be in charge of how the world would be saved. And what does Jesus say? Verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men. So Peter understood what it meant to have the highs and the lows. He understood what it meant to rebel against the very Son of God, to rebuke his uh, rabbi, to rebuke his Messiah, to rebuke the Christ. Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter again, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1. And we are introduced uh, to these amazing two books, only eight chapters in the whole Bible, written by 
Peter. And it's an amazing section because it starts and ends with the same exact theme. First uh, Peter starts with the hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Second Peter ends with the hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ as well. Uh, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, Peter understood this word more than any other disciple. The word that is only spoken by Peter in the whole Bible, this word, and it's a big one that we don't like, foreknowledge. You see, foreknowledge is only spoken here and in one other place in the Bible. The other place that it's spoken as is in the book of Acts. And it's spoken by the very same person who wrote 1st and 2nd Peter, a guy by the name of uh, Peter. Listen to what he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 23. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know, whom him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God." You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. You see, Peter uses this word not only in his epistle, but in his sermon back in Acts. That, that sermon uh, that he preached there in Acts chapter 2 on purpose to show that it was God who chose the Israelites. Uh, chose Abraham chose Isaac and Jacob slash Israel. Uh, chose the people of Israel knowing, foreknowing with the, the omniscience power of God, uh, with the foreknowledge of God, chose them knowing that they would crucify his son. Do you understand that? Chose them with the knowledge that they would crucify and kill and mock his son. Peter understood that firsthand because Peter understood that because he himself was chosen by Jesus knowing that he himself would deny Jesus as well. Jesus knew that. He understands that firsthand. And so this word, this big word that is used here, this word foreknowledge that is used at the very beginning of Peter sets this tone. God knows it before it happens. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. 
it's hard to preach a sermon like this. Because these terms that we're going to be using are, are very political. In fact, Peter starts out from the very first time he uses the word submission in a political sense. Who's the first group of people that Peter tells us to submit to? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. What's the first group? What's the first group? The government. Submit to the government. Now this word submit that is used six times uh, throughout the book of, of 1 Peter is, is actually this word, hupotasso. And it's a military uh, term. Now, you have to um, picture in, in Peter's mind why he is telling people, especially Jews, especially people who have been dispersed, if you go back to verse 1, the, these Christians that have been dispersed not voluntarily, but because of the government. They have been scattered throughout the, you know, Asia Minor region, all, all those cities that we read about at the very beginning of this book. They have been dispersed because of the government that Peter is now telling them to submit to. But this word, hubotasso, is is actually a military term. It means to arrange, as in a troop division, in a military fashion, under the command of a leader. And in a non-military sense, it, it is used as a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. You, you see, the first aspect that, that Peter is bringing out about submission in submission to government is that submission always produces order. Submission always produces order. In fact, you can see it in any well-trained military. What's the first thing that Lance will be learning about when he goes into boot camp. How to march, right? How to stay in line. How to work with other people. There is an order that is produced because of a submissive uh, attitude coming under another uh, person. It, it continues on there. And you have to put yourself again in the footsteps of Peter because he is a Jew living under Roman authority. Did Peter love the Jewish government when he was walking with Jesus Christ? No. In fact, he hated the Roman uh, government. Uh, but if you listen to the words of 
of Paul, it says in Romans 13:1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, we live in a country. And what do you hear on the news all the time? What is it all about? It's about what, you know, is happening in the government. And we should truly be blessed because Peter, uh, writing these things, writing this submission to the government, is actually in a far harsher government than we could ever even imagine. You see, uh, Nero at this time hated Christians so much that he would, you know, use them as lampposts in his gardens. And if you read, you know, any of the, the books on martyrs, uh, you, you see the horrific things that happened to Christians during this time. It, it was not a conducive environment uh, for a Christian to believe in Jesus Christ. And yet Peter, he's saying, submit to the governing authorities. But we have to understand who is the one that puts all authorities in their place. What did Romans 13:1 say? It is God who puts all authorities in place. In fact, that's what Peter uh, says as well. Verse 15, 16, and 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it continues on. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Isn't that amazing? How can I put to silence those that are just rambling their mouths, that are foolish men? How can I do that? Follow the word of God. What does it say? Obey. Submit. Be silent. Do you understand what that means in Peter's life? That's antithetical to everything Peter believed in as a Jew. We should be fighting the Roman government. We should be raising our swords against the Roman government, right? I should do everything in my power to resist authority. Read verse 15 again. For this is the will of God that we should submit. That by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free not yet doing or using liberty as a cloak for vice but as bondservants of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Submission understands who's actually in authority. Who put the governments there? Who put the men in place? Who put those people that govern us in authority. But what does submission actually mean? Does that mean that we should obey in everything? No. It understands who's the highest authority. In fact, 
In Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 19 through 20, Peter and John had the same dilemma. Who should we obey? Acts chapter 4, verse 19, it says, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Who was the higher authority? The people that were telling Peter and John not to preach the gospel anymore? Or God himself? And the answer is clear. It's God himself. Now, as we go through this list, as we go through uh, these chapters, as we look at the people that we're supposed to submit to, it does not get easier. You, you thought submitting to the government was hard. What's the next section say? Verse 18, 1 Peter chapter 2. Who's the next group we're supposed to submit to? Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. Do you understand the power of that? You see, submission not only means order, but when we submit to those that have put, been put in authority, uh, and we always, you know, automatically in our minds, we, we transfer this over to employers, right? You know, you've heard sermons on this in, in terms of, you know, how are we supposed to act toward those who are our bosses? And we love good bosses, right? You know, we, we love those who are in authority over us that provide nice things, right? But who else does Peter tell us to be submissive to? Not just the good, but who else? The harsh as well. And so we, we convert this into our, you know, time period a, an employer who hires you as an employee, right? But that's not the context here. The context here is not an employee-employer relationship. The context here is a master-slave relationship. It, it's a master-servant relationship. Th this is a Submission not to someone who you are being hired by or volunteering your services to. No, this is someone who owns you. This is a master. And what does Peter tell them to do? Submit. Now, how does he tell them to submit? And this is the next uh, point because... Submission not only to the government produces order, but submission to those uh, who are our masters or employers uh, produces provision. 
And, and we have to go back to that military term again. Because in the army or in the military order that is produced when we obey or submit to uh, the government, this next section we understand also. Uh, who gives us, if you are in a military, your provision? Who provides for you? Who, who gives you those um, perks that you have in the military? Who gives you your food? Who provides for you? It all comes from this word uh, to submit. Now, submission never, meet, never means inferiority. In fact, the title of the sermon is, is the superiority of submission. The superiority of uh, submission. It is never inferior. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What does it continue to say there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19? says, submit to your masters, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? Again, put yourself in the place of Peter's, uh, where he is at in time right now. What could a master do to their slave? As it says here, what could they do? Rightfully so, what could they do? We don't like to say it, but they could beat their slave. They could kill their slave. They could do whatever they wanted to, to their slave. It continues on there in verse 20. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Isn't that amazing? The power, the superiority of submission. Submission is never uh, inferior. For to this you were called. Do you understand the context now? Because we always take this out of context. We, we always say, oh, we should walk in the steps of Jesus Christ. You have to understand the context. It's in the very same context of a master-slave relationship. Now, this is uncomfortable. We, we don't like talking about these things. It, it is hard. We squirm when we hear this. But what is the ultimate submission to whom we should submit to? And it says it in the rest of this section. If we just read it verse by verse. This is the will of God for you. Right? That you were what? Called. Because Christ also suffered for us. 
leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. The poster isn't all about sunshine and just some footprints in the sand. The, the, the call isn't just some idealistic view. No, the call is to submit. Not just to the government in an orderly sense, not just to our employers in a provisional sense, it is never inferior in how we should conduct ourselves. It is always superior. Why? Because Jesus did it. Excuse me. Because Jesus was the example. What does it say in verse 22? Did he deserve any of the punishment that he received? Did he deserve any of the punishment that he received? Not a single ounce. Yet what did he do? Verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was defeat, deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. The great exchange. My sins for his righteousness. This is hard, because submission always wins souls. Who was the greatest example of submission? According to this verse, who was the greatest example of submission? Jesus Christ. And why did he submit? Why did he say, Father, not my will, but thine be done? Why did he say that? To win your souls. To die for the sins of the world. To provide a way so that we could have eternal life. It does not end there, verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Submission is return. Submission is Return. Not, not only does it provide order, and, and you thought submitting to the government was hard. Not only does it provide provision, submission to our employers or in a master-slave relationship. Not, not only does it provide that provisional aspect, not only does it provide winning of souls as we see here in this section with Jesus Christ submitting himself to the will of the Father and going to the cross. What's the fourth thing that we're supposed to submit to? You thought government was hard preaching on? You thought submission to employers was hard? What's the next thing it asked, Peter tells us to submit to? Don't point at your wife, Matthew. What does it say? What does it say? Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Wow. 
How political is that? And Peter's, Peter's slowly going through this. Peter understood what it meant. He was married. He, he was the one who took Jesus into his home. His mother-in-law was there. She was sick. What did Jesus do? He healed her, right? She got up and she, you know, uh, made uh, dinner or lunch for everybody, right? She cooked a meal for everybody there. He, he understood what it meant to be in a relationship, have a wife. This is hard. By the way, it gets harder. This word, Hupotasso, again, we have to think of it in a military sense. Not only does it provide order, not only does it provide provision, but it provides protection. Do you understand what it means to submit under the authority of a husband? It, it, it again, is a military term. What happens if you put yourself in the order that the commander has told you to go to? Is there protection in that company? Is there protection in that submission? Is there protection in that hupo tasso? Look at the power of submission in this section. This, is, this will blow you away because we, we irk at the first phrase. We're, we're appalled by it in our society. Wives, submit to your husbands? What's the honor in that? Peter goes into amazing detail. And in, in every sense, whenever you see a, a husband-wife relationship in the Bible, uh, when, whenever you see uh, this relationship in every single context, the wife is always first. Do you understand that? Every time. Every time. Even before the children and the husband. And yes, he will address the husband. Uh, yes, he will address the rest of the family. But the wife is always first, whether it's in the book of Ephesians, whether it's in the book of Colossians, whether it's here in the book of 1 Peter. In every single case, it's always the wives first. Do you understand why? Because Peter knows they can do it. Look at the power of submission. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word of God, speaking about the husband, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Look at the power Submission wins without a word. What power is that? I mean, this should truly uh, blow us away. The conduct of a godly wife is more powerful than the most eloquent sermon of the greatest preacher on the planet. Why? As Peter is saying here, your conduct can win a soul without even 
a word. It continues on there. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. How powerful is that? You see, not only does submission provide order, not only does submission produce provision, but, but submission provides protection. There's a sense we see here as you go through this section that, that not only am I submitting to my husband, but I'm submitting to the will of God in, in doing this. And the power that that produces in a gentle and a quiet spirit, how precious is that to God? How does he see that as a precious thing? Now, I am married, and you may not believe this, but my wife and I get into arguments. <gasps> John and Emily. And not because of my wife, by the way, because I see my wife as perfect, but because of me, an imperfect man. And one of the things that we argue about, and... Um, Maybe it's the same in your household, I don't know, is doing the dishes. Yes, see, you, you have the same exact arguments that we do, right? I say, don't go, Emily, let me do the dishes tonight. You have that argument, right? And, and she'll say, no, let me do the dishes tonight. Right? Is that the argument you have? It's about doing the dishes, right? And, and we'll get into these huge fights over who gets to do the dishes. I want to do the dishes. Don't let me do the dishes. And my wife has learned over the years to be submissive and let me, or, or maybe it's trained, I, I forget what it was, but uh, uh, submit to me to let me do the dishes, right? What, what amazing harmony can that produce? Now, you too have to have that same perspective, by the way. You must. Because not only does it address the wife in this section, but addresses the man, the husband in this section as well. You thought submitting to the government was hard? You thought submitting to an employer was hard? Or, or submission within the family, a, a wife to your husband? What does it ask the man to do? What does Peter tell the man to do? What does he tell the husband to do? Verse 7. Husbands, likewise, that word likewise is there on purpose, because it's in the same aspect of a submissive heart, of a humble heart. Dwell with them with understanding. Which is the higher call? Which is the harder thing? What is the husband told to do? 
understand his wife. And live with her, by the way, too. I have to understand my wife. I have to actually understand where she's coming from. How, how does that go against the male brain, right? I, I love teaching on Wednesday mornings because, uh, like I said, we went, we went through this section. And we, we, we spend a lot more time per verse, you know, and it's a, it's a privilege to actually be able to do that. The men that show up on Wednesday mornings at 6 o'clock, they, they wake up early, they're faithful in coming, uh, they, they, they love hearing the Word of God. And, and to talk about these things, uh, what it actually means to, to live in understanding with your wife should break our hearts, men. Because the example is Jesus Christ. What does it say? Giving honor to the wife. As to the weaker vessel. Now, unfortunately, that's a, you know, we, we think of weakness in, you know, in, in terms of this. But again, it goes back to that word precious. Yes, it may be delicate. Yes, it may be you know, fragile. Yes, your wife may, you know, at times, uh, you know, approach things with a different perspective than you. Yes, your, your heads may come together at times. Yes, there may be uh, fights and arguments, but how is the husband supposed to treat his wife Something precious. Now, now the term here is actually something like a vase or, or a precious uh, ornament or, or something that can easily be broken. What do you do with a, a precious, valuable vase? Let's say you have to transport it from one area to another in a big moving van. What do you do? You just throw it in with all the rest of the stuff? No. What do you do? You wrap it up, right? You, you protect it. There, there's this idea that you want that valuable uh, thing that is precious to you, that, that is fragile, to somehow make it through the journey. And it's the same thing with marriage. Peter is bringing that out. Man, you need to treat your wives with honor because they are valuable. They're precious in the sight of God. What does it say? And it brings that out in the very next phrase. And as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. What is the warning, men? What is the warning? That your prayers can be hindered by the conduct of the way you treat your wife. That not only are you heirs together in Christ, but there can also be a hindrance in the way that you treat your 
wife. Peter, Peter is bringing these things out. And, and, and you know, he, he's you know, pouring these things out in this epistle that he's preaching, that, that he's delivering to the people that have been dispersed uh, throughout Asia Minor. He starts off with submission to the government. There's, there's order there, and then, and then a submission to our employers, and, and there's provision there. And then into the family home, he, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. There's, there's protection there. What is the last thing that Peter tells us to submit to? And we find the very last thing that he tells us to be submissive to in 1 Peter chapter 5. Just one page over, maybe two in your Bibles. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 9, it says, Likewise, you younger people. <laughs> Submission to government, you thought that was hard. Submission with employers, you, you think that's hard. Submission between a, a wife and her husband, that, that's hard. And now what's the last thing he says? The youth. The youth. You, you younger people within the church, be submissive to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive. There's that lump sum there. Now, the important thing is, submission is always an attitude of spiritual maturity always doesn't matter your age doesn't matter your length in the Lord it's the attitude that you have toward those in authority it's the attitude that you have toward those that God has put uh, over us you see on Monday nights I am not in charge Pastor Tink's in charge and I submit to what he tells me to do, you know. Wednesday mornings, I have the privilege of being in charge of that. In the Sunday school rooms, I'm no normally not in here. I I'm teaching Sunday school. Thomas is in here right now. Uh, but but um, you understand, I have to submit to whoever's in authority over the Sunday school program. They're the ones that make, you know, the rules. And in this church, who do we submit under? Uh, Pastor Mike and those that are the elders of this church. We are supposed to submit. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility, it says. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Not only does submission provide order, not only does submission provide provision, not only does submission provide protection, but submission always produces victory. Submission always produces uh, victory. Humility ne is never too great to serve. Submission knows who is always the stronger to carry. Submission always paves the way for the very next verse. 
Overcoming the enemy. Overcoming the devil. Again, think of it in a military aspect. Not only does that hupotasso, that submission in a military produce order and protection and provision, but what happens when that army marches together following out the commands of their military leader? Knowing that our military leader is God, what will that always produce? Victory. Submission always produces victory. What does it say? Verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brethren in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Our ability to submit resists temptation is always in direct proportion to our submission to God. Always. When we are submissive to God, we can resist with the power of God the devil. Now Peter, again, understands this firsthand. What was the call of Peter's submission in his life. You see, for Peter, submission meant the cross. And it was predicted that this would happen to Peter. And Peter understood this even before, century, or, uh, decades before he would even die on the cross. You see, in, in John chapter 21, verses 18 through 19, it says, Jesus telling John, or telling Peter how he would die, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself up, you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Submit to me. What did submission mean to Peter? Not just following a government, not, not just following an employer, and not just living with his wife and understanding her. No, what did submission mean to Peter? The cross. You see, uh, history tells us exactly what happened to Peter, exactly what Jesus predicted would happen to Peter. After 2 Peter was written, Peter was taken to a, an area where crucifixion took place. They not only crucified his wife and his children, but Peter had to yell from that, from that uh, while watching them, remember Christ, remember Christ, as his wife was being crucified there on the cross. And you know what um, history tells us. What did Peter ask to have happen to him? 
Not, not to be crucified right side up, but to be crucified upside down. Peter understood what it meant to submit. What about for us? There's a hymn, and, and you know I always like to, to do this, but there's a, there's a hymn that in, in two of the verses it says this exact same phrase. Perfect submission. Perfect submission. In verse 2 of Blessed Assurance it says, Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Or verse 3 it says uh, a similar thing. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. You see, this was written by a blind lady by the name of Fanny Crosby. And she was asked the question one day, would you want Jesus to heal you? And she said, if I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. For when I die, the very first face I will see will be the face of my blessed Savior. Again, understanding what submission means. Now, uh, if you know this hymn, and, and if you don't, it, it, you know, you'll, you'll catch the tune fairly quickly. Uh, please uh, sing it with me, starting with the very first verse there. It says, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Oh, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, oh, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Watching and waiting, looking up above, Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Oh, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Oh, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Oh, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Oh, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Oh, this is my story. This is my song. 
Praising my Savior all the day long. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you that you are the perfect example of what it means to submit. We see how you, you submitted to the very will of the Father, even to the point of death on the cross. We see the many examples that we see throughout scriptures of, of men like, like Peter who understood what submission actually meant going to the very cross. And Lord, ourselves, we, we know we are called on a daily basis to take up our cross. And so, Father, we ask that you would give us your humility, your grace in our acts of submission, Father. Uh, help us to submit, first of all, to you, knowing that you are the ultimate authority. And for those that you've placed over us, we ask that you give us the wisdom to know how to submit to them, Father. Uh, give us that grace, whether it's in our, our, you know, the governing authorities that are over us in a, in a uh, national level or a state level or a, a, a local level, Lord, or, or maybe it's, it's our employers, Lord. We ask that you would give us grace in that situation, Father, and in our home life, Lord. I, I thank you so much for the many examples that you have given us throughout the Scriptures, Lord, and I ask that you would be the one that helps us, Father, to understand what it means to apply submission to our lives and the power that that produces, Father. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.